the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We'll see you The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy explains the seriousness of life and death. Solomon is not about to leave any one of us at the crossroads of life going eeny, meeny, miny, mo. No, he would rather point us in a direction. Given your choice, here's the path you ought to take. It's the path to sanity. It's the path to success. It's the path to spirituality. people think if I knew when I was going to die, then I'd start to live differently. So today on Know the Truth, Bible teacher Philip DeCourcy challenges our thinking and our daily choices. We don't need to know the hour of our death. It's enough to know that our days are numbered. And the preacher in Ecclesiastes tells us we've got to start living that way now. It's a call to make the most of life, living for Christ here and now. Today's message is titled, Live and Learn. And here's Philip DeCourcy. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And we're going to continue to work our way through chapter 7, verses 1 through 14, and we'll just get to a better place in the passage. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. That's not usually what I do, but this is a a section, as we said last week, that's very proverbial in nature. And I love the way the New Living Translation captures the proverbial nature of this passage. Let's just read through to verse 6, starting at verse 1. A good reputation is more valuable than the most expensive perfume. In the same way, the day you die is better than the day you are born. It is better to spend your time at funerals than at festivals. For you are going to die, and you should think about it while there is still time. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks much about death while the fool thinks only about having a good time. It is better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. Indeed, a fool's laughter is quickly gone like thorns crackling in a fire. This also is meaninglessness. So reads God's Word. I come back to the subject we live and learn. Those of us who would make the most of life need to be those who are enthusiastic, lifelong learners who are eager students of God, eager students of life, eager students of human nature. The story is told of a young bank executive who was about to get to the point of the pyramid in terms of the company's structure. And before he took 
the job over, he decided to talk to the leader whose mantle he was now about to carry, a man who was wise in years, experienced and successful in executive leadership. The young man asked him a series of questions, and, and it began with this question. He says, what would you attribute your success to? The older executive said to the younger executive, two words, good decisions. The young man said, that's good. I understand that. I want to be that kind of leader. I want to make good decisions. But I've got a second question. He said, how do you make good decisions? He said, one word, one word, experience. Yeah, I get it. That's true. You know, if you're going to make good decisions, you've got to be experienced. But here's my last question to you. How do you get experience that allows you to make good decisions? And the executive looked at him and he said, two words, bad decisions. (laughs) There's little doubt that we live and learn even from our bad choices. Let's be honest. Life is one great classroom in which experience becomes the best teacher. Over time, the wise person comes to see through observation and experimentation what works and what doesn't work, what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong, what's vain and what's permanent, what God blesses and what God curses. Over time, through experience and experimentation and observation, the wise person will get it. They'll come to see that there are some things that are better for us than other things. And that's why when you go to the book of Proverbs, you go to the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll find the wise men or the sages of Israel often presenting their material in better than comparisons. Proverbs that are better than comparisons. They've lived long enough. They've observed enough of life. They've experienced enough of life rooted in the fear of God to help others see that some things are to be chosen over other things in life. The better than Proverbs points to what is good for us. And you'll find them in a number of places in the Bible. Proverbs 17 verse 1, better a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Proverbs 25 verse 24, it is better to live in a corner on the housetop than in a house shared with a contentious wife. Let's move on. But there's these Proverbs everywhere, in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And here we have them in chapter 7. Solomon's back on form. This is him at his best. We've got a whole slice of Proverbs, better than comparisons, to help us make wise choices. And I want to come back into this passage. Because remember what we said, there's a question hanging at the end of chapter 6. What's good for man? And in chapter 7, Solomon answers that. What is entailed in living well during one's few and fleeting days on earth? Well, the answer to the question of chapter 6 is in the first 14 verses of chapter 7. Solomon is not about to leave any one of us at the crossroads of life going eeny, meeny, miny, moe. No, he would rather point us in a direction. Given your choice, here's the path you ought to take. It's the path to sanity. It's the path to success. It's the path to spirituality. And so we come back into these opening 14 verses. Last week, we covered verses 1 through 4. If I was to break up the passage, I would outline it like this. 
In verses 1 through 4, Solomon encourages us to live and learn when bereaved. In verses 5 and 6, he encourages us to live and learn when berated. And in verses 7 through 14, he encourages us to live and learn when bewildered. What do you do when you're bereaved? What do you do when you're berated? What do you do when you're bewildered? Well, there's some things you ought to do, and in doing them, you'll find out that it's better than doing something else. Last week, we saw that it's better to go to the house of mourning than go to the house of feasting. Solomon would encourage us to contemplate our own death and our own demise. Often, it renders a kick in the pants like nothing else does. Along with the sorrow that's attendant with it, it has a refining influence on us, to borrow the words of the New Living Translation. There's just no way, given the shortness of life, that we can loiter on our way to heaven. One of the ways that you'll pick up the pace is by thinking about your death, by hearing the tick of the clock every day as it winds down. We must make every day count. We must be done with trivial pursuits. I don't have time to develop this. I came across a sermon this week by the Puritan William Perkins who ministered in Cambridge in England. He has a sermon on this very passage, and he encourages Christians to spend their life meditating on their death. He points to the fact that Joseph of Arimathea had his own grave in his backyard, and he wants to make this application. Whatever Joseph of Arimathea was doing, he didn't get very far from the thought that someday they're going to put me in that hole in the wall. And so was my language with my wife appropriate? Is the way I'm raising my kids appropriate? Am I spending my money appropriately? Am I investing my time appropriately? Am I on track in the light of eternity? That's the kind of thought that William Perkins has. I love this statement in this sermon. Quote him, whatever a man would do when he's dying, the same he ought to do every day in his living. That's the wisdom of Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 4. So we live and learn when bereaved. But let's move on to verses 5 and 6. We ought to live and learn when berated, criticized, called on the mat. Let's read verses 5 and 6 again. It's better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. Or as maybe the New King James would put it, better to receive a rebuke by a wise man than the laughter of fools. Verse 6. Indeed, a fool's laughter is quickly gone like thorns crackling in the fire. This also is meaningless. If we might tie these verses to verses 1 through 4, there's a theme that continues. You see, Solomon the wise writer has taught us to face death fully. There's no ducking the issue. He says if you're going to live life successfully, then face the hard facts of life. You can't do otherwise. It's folly to ignore what must be faced. Don't be pretending Pretending is no way to live. Don't pretend that death isn't coming. Don't pretend that eternity is not around the corner, for it is, and it's long, and your destiny is set at the moment you depart this earth. Let those weighty issues weigh upon you. Don't duck the hard facts of life. And he goes on then. Then don't dodge the criticism of a wise man. He's basically saying this, the mature don't run from the thought of their death, 
nor do they run from a deluxe shellacking from a good person who wants them to be better. Nobody likes to go to a funeral, right? But then we're told it's better to go to the funeral than to the house of feasting. Nobody likes to be called onto the mat, but it's good for us. It's sanctifying and helpful. See, better to be scolded by a wise man than serenaded by a fool. Solomon has lived long enough to know that it's better to receive a meaningful slap in the face than a meaningless slap on the back with an empty, for he's a jolly good fellow. Solomon says, don't fall for that. The laughter of a fool, the back slapping that's so much part of the party scene and the culture where there's so much meaningless talk devoid of reality and honesty and transparency. He says, that's like thorns crackling on a campfire. They make a lot of noise, but they don't burn for very long. They're not like a good log. They're not like a good lump of coal. And so's the laughter of a fool. There's people that just want to laugh their way through life. They don't want to take anything seriously. They don't want to look at themselves. They don't want to look at death. They don't want to think about eternity. That's the kind of person who's going to tell you, you're great, you're good to go. And then someone's going to come into your life and burst your bubble. And how are you going to react? Well, Solomon says this. Hey, listen to me. I've lived long enough. I think this is a true statement rooted in the fear of God, proven by time, tested by experience. It's better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. It's good stuff, isn't it? Constructive and not destructive criticism can have a wonderful ministry in each of our lives. Let me just give you some verses that reinforce this. Proverbs 10 and and verse 17. Here's what we read. People who accept correction are on the pathway to life, but those who ignore it will lead others astray. Chapter 12, verse 1, to learn you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. 13, verse 18, if you ignore criticism, you'll end up in poverty and disgrace. If you accept criticism, you'll be honored. Chapter 17, verse 10, a single rebuke does more for a person of understanding than a hundred lashes on the back of a fool. And then my favorites, Proverbs 27, verse 5, an open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Remember studying that verse in a series I did in Proverbs, and the interesting thing about that verse is the Hebrew parallelism. Each thing is set up in contrast. You talk about the friend, and you talk about the enemy. The friend is faithful. The enemy is deceitful. The friend is faithful through his wounds and his rebuking and his criticizing. The enemy is deceitful through his kisses and his empty laughter. And the amazing thing is, some of us, to escape pain, to escape taking ourselves to the woodshed, to escape change and humility and repentance, we would rather have the kiss of the enemy than the blow of the friend. Solomon's saying, hey, I've watched it. And I've watched it in people's lives to their utter cost. Listen, most of us would rather be ruined by praise than saved by criticism. That's the way we're bent. 
You know what? Our old man, our old man doesn't like to be exposed. He doesn't like to be called on the mat because he's proud and he's protective of himself. He sees himself better than he is. He's not very honest with himself. He's always in good standing with himself. You go back to the very fall of man and you see Adam blaming Eve and you see Eve blaming the serpent. As an old preacher said, Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. But you see, we have an aversion to admonition because apart from being humbled at the foot of the cross, apart from living under the lordship of Jesus Christ, apart from being filled and submitted to the Holy Spirit, you and I will see ourselves better than we are. And that's why we're always open to the folly of listening to the laughter of fools and rejecting the wise rebuke of a wise man. And for a few moments... Let's drill down into this. Let's get practical. Let's get pastoral. We all bear the bites of unfair criticism. We can all point to them. And we all have the scars from the wounding of a friend that is now healed and been good for us. What are we to make of this whole issue of rebuke, admonition, criticism? It's hard to escape it, isn't it? Jesus didn't escape it. Paul didn't escape it. None of us will escape it. I wrote down a number of things to myself when I first studied this passage some years ago and then come back to it this week. Five things that we'll move through very quickly. But if you're dealing with criticism or you're thinking of giving it, here's some things to bear in mind. Number one, some people criticize because it's easier to see the faults of others. Some people criticize because it's easier to see the faults of others now, Jesus tackles that, doesn't he, in Matthew 7, 1 through 4. He doesn't say you can't judge, which is often how that verse is interpreted. But he does say if you're going to judge somebody, you need to first judge yourself. What's the standard? Because it's not one standard for you and another standard for them. If it is, you're a hypocrite, and it will come back to bite you. And then Jesus you know, paints this hilarious, humorous picture. Don't be like someone pulling a toothpick out of somebody's eye while at the same time there's a six by four sticking out of your own. Jesus warns us here. As someone has so memorably said, faults are like the headlights in a car. Those of others seem more glaring than our own. Isn't that the truth? I want to be mindful of that. Some people criticize because it's easier to see faults in others. And by the way, when you smoke somebody like that out, then you don't need to lose a lot of sleep over their criticism. If you dig down deep enough into any criticism, you might find a kernel of truth in it. But if they want to define your life by it, if they want to make it a Supreme Court case, when you look at them and see the hypocrisy or the lack of standards in their own life, then you can pull the mat from out under their feet because when they want to call you onto the mat, because some people live in a critical condition. Their predisposition is against someone or someone or even you. They're never going to give you a fair shake. They've already made their mind up. The agenda's set, and you're part of it. Dismiss the criticism based on the critic. I always remember what Vance Havner said. He's talking about this kind of scenario. He said, you know, it's not worth fighting with a skunk because even when you win, you lose. And that's a good word of wisdom in life. 
You know, sometimes it's just not worth defending yourself, worth engaging the criticism because, you know, the person's a skunk. Some people criticize because they don't know the whole story. It's another thing to bear in mind. There's always two sides to a story. But if we're not careful, any one of us can quickly attach ourselves to one side of the story, maybe out of self-interest, maybe out of a connection with that person, maybe out of a sense of self-preservation oneself. And we can act impulsively. And the book of Proverbs warns us not to do that. Go over to the book of Proverbs again, chapter 18 and verse 13. What a shame, what a folly to give advice before listening to the facts. You better make sure you've done your homework. You better make sure what you're about to say to that person or about that person is actually true. You're not going on assumptions, presumptions, tidbits, sound bites. So we're warned here to be careful. Look at verse 17 of the same chapter. Any story sounds true until someone sets a record straight. How many times have you and I been embarrassed you know? Oh, I didn't know that, so I'm sorry for what I said. Well, maybe if it had zipped it, you wouldn't have to make the apology. But we're all human. I've done it. You've done it. Got to be careful. In fact, this is particularly true when it comes to criticizing leaders in the church. Go over to First Timothy chapter 5. First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 19. Do not listen to complaints against an elder unless there are two or three witnesses to accuse him. Anyone who sins should be rebuked in front of the whole church so that others will have a proper fear of God. Paul is reminding Timothy here to be careful. The occasion for complaint against a leader is multiplied. That's why they need some extra protection. Unlike someone in the congregation, the sphere of their influence is pretty narrow. Or people speaking into their life or looking at their life may be limited. But not the pastor. Not the pastor or his family. He's exposed to the whole congregation. And so the opportunity for complaint, for misunderstanding, for misreading is multiplied. And that's why the pastor is protected here in this passage. And no complaint against him should be listened to unless it can be established clearly by witnesses. And if it is established and his sin is there to be seen, he's to be rebuked in public. Because you see, his ministry is public. Unlike anybody else in the congregation, he's got a platform and a leadership platform that makes the exposure of his sin necessary. You're listening to Know the Truth with author, pastor, and Bible teacher, Philip DeCourcy. We're continuing a practical series in the book of Ecclesiastes called The Quest for the Best. Be sure to visit our website to hear previous messages. Just go to ktt.org. It's plain to see the world is always chasing the good things in life, but often what many people value as good are just shiny distractions and dead ends. That's why the book of Ecclesiastes has resonated with people for centuries and millenniums. It's often called the most contemporary book in the Bible because it deals with issues that are common to all people of any era. In our current series, Philip has addressed what really counts in this life and the next, which is why Quest for the Best also makes a great small group study. Order the complete set of messages on CD when you call 888-644-8811 and then gather your friends for a meaty and meaningful Bible study. And thanks for remembering Know the Truth in your monthly giving. 
Your regular giving provides us the stability we need to keep these daily messages coming your way. This month, when you make a donation of $20 or more, we'll send you a great little book that answers the most important questions about Jesus' death and resurrection. You know it's rock solid since The Resurrection in You is written by apologists Josh and Sean McDowell. It's a great follow-up to Easter, giving you the facts for your faith. Request The Resurrection in You when you give $20 or more to know the truth. Call 888-644-8811 or go to ktt.org. And while you're on our website, take a moment to sign up for the free email devotional from Philip DeCourcy. Every week you'll receive an uplifting reflection from God's Word delivered right to your inbox. Be sure to subscribe today when you go to ktt.org. We're glad you joined us today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. There's still more to learn about life and death as Philip continues our study in the book of Ecclesiastes. Don't miss the Friday edition of Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Dr. Charles Stanley. It is certainly the will of God that every one of his children have spiritual discernment because he knows that the more spiritual discerning we are, the more obedient we're going to be because we're going to be able to distinguish between what's the will of God and what seems to be a good thing. Hear the series Spiritual Discernment this week on In Touch with Dr. Charles Stanley. Weekday mornings at 1130 on AM 780 WAVA. Hi, this is Jim Daly inviting you to show your support for the sanctity of life and the protection of the preborn, along with millions of concerned citizens. Go to focusonthefamily.com slash pro-life and sign the Declaration for Life. Also, we need you May 4th in Times Square to stand for life. We're calling the event Alive from New York. Be a voice for the voiceless child in the womb. Learn more at focusonthefamily.com slash pro-life. Share. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.